Everybody, welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. I'm so excited to have my guest on today. My guest is the Chief Medical Officer of Bridgepoint Hospital in Washington, D.C., and a board-certified internal medicine physician. She serves as a critical care physician in an ICU one mile from the U.S. Capitol building on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. She's a proponent of medical cannabis and author of The CBD Skin Care Solution, The Power of Cannabidiol for Healthy Skin. Please welcome Dr. Marshman, I'm sorry, Manisha Singhal. I mean, I got to get the name right. So sorry. I, thank you for being here, doctor. I'm doing great. Matala, thank you so much. I'm really enjoying uh, being here. I've been a huge fan of yours back when you had your show, and I actually frequent your podcast because I find it very informative. So thank, thank you. you. You know, and I know I'm, I'm excited to talk to you because, you know, out of all the doctors that I've had on the show, and you're probably one with the longest resume now working with cannabinoids, period, and studying about them. And you've been doing that for, what, the last five years? Yes. Yes. It's really interesting, because let's just start right there. Let's, let's First of all, let's go back and talk a little bit about your background. Uh, sure. Um, so uh, I don't know how far back we should go. I was born in India, raised in Steeler Town in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and okay. came to D.C. for my medical education. So, um, you know, my mission... Montel, through, I think, our personal experiences really shape our mission. And for me, um, having lost in my family, what I've experienced, it really put me on a path where I wanted to be the best type of doctor to my patients. I don't be the brightest or the smartest. But I have to be able to think and get my patients the help that they need and form that team. So, so really, that's my path. I wish a lot of other doctors had that same intent in what they're doing. And I think it's starting to change, and we're going to see a lot more changes in the medical profession, especially because of COVID-19. But let's, what, what interested you, and why did you get involved in cannabis and cannabis research to begin with? Absolutely. So um, about four or five years ago, I had a skin reaction to hair dye, of all things. I was getting ready for a wedding, had a reaction. And that was a six month journey for me of pain and suffering, working with doctors, my friends, to come up with treatment plans. So until I was placed on a cocktail of drugs, and one thing about me, I know that when you're on a cocktail of drugs, the cure oftentimes is worse than the disease. So, and I wasn't getting the relief that I, was in, I needed. So at the same time, I was looking at alternatives. What were the non-toxic ways that I can get relief? Came across CBD cannabis. Interestingly, at George Washington University, this was back in 2016, they had courses talking about the biopharmacokinetics of CBD and THC. So what I learned was that cannabinoids have power, powerful anti-inflammatory properties and my skin reaction was inflammation. So I experimented, and I actually got the relief that I was seeking, and that then I just dove right in. Well, it's really interesting you said it was five years ago that you were able to find information at a university level, like George Washington University and, or uh, in Washington, D.C., because you know the majority of universities across this country don't even teach the endocannabinoid system, which is, is discovered and talked about and actually written about as far back as 2000. 
2001, 2002, as a matter of fact, when the U.S. government gave itself its own patent back in 2002 and mm -hmm. filled out its patent application in 1998, they already recognized back then, based on the research that Dr. Mishulam had done, that we had this thing called the endocannabinoid system, which was responsible for our cellular homeostasis. But it took them 20 years to, well, 16 years to start talking about that at the university level. I, I, what, in the class that you were taking or the course that you looked for information in was what? Um, yeah, so it was an online course and they actually had three courses, the three hour long seminars talking about research that had been done on the cannabis plant and specifically with CBD and THC. So for me, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm trained in science. I'm open-minded with my own Indian heritage and it would leave in um, Ayurvedic medicine, homeopathy, but it was pretty eye-opening for me to see that there was actual scientific chemical studies are being done to try to unlock these properties. So it, it was, I just stumbled on it. I, I still am a little bit, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little jaded in a sense because I look at the medical community that, you know, is, you know, the people who are out here right now, talking the most about science and facts. And when we've had scientific fact in peer-reviewed journals for now almost 20, 30 years, and the U.S. government has researched cannabis for now almost 50 years, spend, made, you know, spending enormous amounts of money on it on an annual basis, you know, through the program they had at the University of Mississippi, I'm, I'm thrown at the fact that we still today are only still talking, and please forgive me, I say there's only CBD, THC, when we know that there are well over 166 other cannabinoids available. I mean, just recently in the last year and a half, two years, it's become, you know, more, uh, made more aware to the general public and made more aware in some of the peer reviewed documents talking about CBG, but we know that CBN we know that THCA, we know that there are several other cannabinoids that are probably going to, within the next five years, be, you know, lauded for their viability in the anti-inflammatory space. As a matter of fact, I spoke to a doctor recently who was telling me that even now during this COVID crisis, we're starting to recognize that the anti-inflammatory properties of cannabinoids are greater than the anti-inflammatory properties that we're using for other medications. So why is it taking so long for the, I'm sorry, for the scientific community to get a grip and agree with the science that they keep talking about? First of all, thank you for saying all of that. And you're absolutely right. Um, you know, as doctors, I think as a society, we're risk adverse. And we live in a, a litigious society. We have to get it right. When we order those CAT scans and those MRIs and those blood tests every day right? We're searching for answers for our patients, but we're also trying to make sure that we're in line with our training because we're going to be judged on that. And so, you know, without the legalization, as you and I know, full legalization of cannabis and medical marijuana, there's going to be a lot, in, a lot of people in our society that are not ready to really bring that into their practice. We should be teaching about the endocannabinoid system in our medical schools. We should be opening people's minds to the possibility that it's not all about big pharma and the drugs. And, and by the way, did you know 
that Tylenol can also cause you serious reactions. You can get, you may need a liver transplant if you had a toxic reaction to Tylenol. So I, I hear you. Um, you know, a lot of times our journeys start from home. For me, I had a need, and, and that's where I started doing my research. And your need took you to some of, or one of, I guess, the top doctors in this country. He took you to the president's own dermatologist who was trying to give you advice, but that's who probably put you on that, that cocktail of pharmaceuticals. Um, what did they think when you said, uh, <laughs> excuse me, take a look at what I'm doing and look how it's fixed this? All right. I admit I have not told them that. Actually, I told one doctor when I wrote the book, I went back to her, one of my dermatologists. And I said, by the way, I got some relief from cannabis. I wrote a book to educate. Would you be interested in reading it? And um, look, I, I love her, but I didn't really get that warm and fuzzy. Of, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read about it. I think, you know, doctors are trying to do their best every single day. And there's a lot to be said about staying in your lane. And then there's going to be a group of individuals that are looking for more options for their patients. Well, um, understanding that, that, that oath you take of do no harm, you know what I mean? I, I think that's one of the things that I really wish a lot of doctors would just you know, wake up every morning with a piece of paper in front of their face on the mirror in their bathroom that says, I will do no harm. You know, and do no harm means that you need to be educated enough that you can't do harm, so therefore you should educate yourself about the things that you don't know. I mean, that's the way I look at things. I mean, I, and, um, I, I find it, it's, it's just unnerving, especially right now when we are searching, just searching as hard as we can to find alternative ways to battle this pandemic. And when we look back in time, go back 2,000 years, go back 3,000 years, mankind's shamans and witch doctors were battling pandemics 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Some that we don't even know about. We can't even, we don't know about because we've not you know, unearthed the body carrying an antibody that you know, we could still look at scientifically and say, oh my goodness, there must have been a pandemic at this time. I guarantee you that you know, if we look back in time, we would probably see that almost every 100 years, 150 years, we've gone through something like this. I wholly agree with you. And on top of it, with all of modern medications, these medicines are changing our ability, they're changing our immune system. I'm not, there, there's a place for modern medications. I work in an intensive care unit. I use those medications for my patients. But at the same time, I know as we're trying to treat one disease, we're creating another. So I hear you. We need to take from history and need to find ways to move the ball forward. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting because, you know, when you take a look at history again, over close to 5,000 years, cannabis has been what has been literally written in every, you know, form of pharmacopoeia and every form of, you know, medical witch doctoring. It's always been there. So I, I wonder why is it that we just can't look back in time and say, hmm, maybe this might be an answer to some issues that we didn't even realize we had, especially when you start looking at it from a scientific standpoint, the fact that, you know, all mammals have an endocannabinoid system. There's a reason why nature put this system in us. And, you know, it's the same reason why we have a kidney. It's the same reason why we have a liver. So why don't we research why is it there? And then we may end up finding out that, 
you know, like, again, we've only discovered, I think we're only at the tip of the iceberg. You know, there's a reason why there's not just two cannabinoids. There's a reason why there's 166 or more. And there's a reason why, you know, we found receptors for two of them. So maybe there's receptors for the 166. And maybe all of those working together is what actually causes cellular homeostasis. And rather than just one or two of them individually, that's been my take. And that's why, you know, I've worked on some of the formulations that I've worked on myself to just try to, like yourself, you searched out and said, Dr. Hill, thyself. And so you reached out and found that combination that worked for you. And I don't say this with, you know, in any way, shape, or form, meaning anything negative about it, but, you know, you might find out that there may be three or four other cannabinoids that you haven't even heard of yet. I haven't heard of yet. You know, there could be, you know, we, we know that the acid form right now is starting to be researched when it comes to CBDA. There is a CBDA. We know there is one. Now we have to get, you know, the ability to isolate that then to literally reformulate that and use that in a special way. So there may be something else that we're missing. And then you, so you found a CBD also helped your husband. Is that right? Because I know your husband suffers from irritable syndrome. Yes. So he has, actually suffers from Crohn's disease, which is inflammation of the gut. And his doctors were doing the same thing. They were dialing up on the drugs and they're like, you know what, let's go to the biologics. You know, those painful injections, costly that you see on TV, you know, on those ads where there's a list of side effects. My yeah. health. Uh, I treat patients. I've seen patients who've come to me because of, of the severe life-threatening complications from those very medications. So I'm not my husband's doctor. We are best friends. We're married. But I told him, please be informed. And so he said, well, what about cannabis? And I said, you know, let, let's research it. And if you want to try it, try it. He did. It wasn't a cure for him. We weren't expecting it to be a cure for him. But Montel, he got relief. He's down to one drug. He never had to escalate. Now, that's his story. You know, I, I can't give you a double-blinded study that can prove what he experienced. But that was, that was pretty interesting. And anecdotally, I will jump in and say that I have a friend, a very close friend of mine who suffers from Crohn's disease and who has found in just incredible relief from cannabis, especially digesting it, eating it. And, you know, he's, he's loaded up on his CBD, but he also uses THC. THC seems to help some of his spasms. People don't recognize, I mean, we've gotten on this big CBD bandwagon by itself and forgot the fact that the man who discovered it said that kind of cannabinoids work in an entourage effect. And so, you know, as much as CBD by itself will be effective, I think that, you know, it's that combination with other cannabinoids that may help, you know, maybe it's, that's what helps permeate the cell wall. Maybe that's what helps, you know, acting like a taxi cab and, and speeds up the process of permeation. Who knows? But, you know, as research gets done, we're going to find out more and more. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been really, really working as hard as I can to stay involved in the research side of this so that, you know, I can bring up just ideas that people will then take on their own and just go run off on. Because I believe that uh, we're going to, in the next four or five years, going to be faced with a situation where, you know, you take a look at the way just the, the attitudes of Western society are right now, not believing in anything scientific, 
You know, I think they may start reaching into homeopathic treatments and rediscover cannabis for themselves, even though it was science that rediscovered it for them to begin with, right? Absolutely. And you know, one thing you said earlier, which is true, if you think about it, two things. One is this plant, and yes, it's like orchids. There's so many different varieties. So this plant has traveled from country to country, from east to west for 10,000 years. And along the way, people have extracted value. And you'd mentioned this, there were those studies. And that's something that we should have just put aside, right? Um, so that's definitely, I think, a, a key thing. And I apologize, I forgot my number two. I get so excited about this topic that it's like there's so much I want to say, but I'm, I, I hear you. Sure, let me give you a chance to say a little bit, because in some of the research that you've done, it's not, I'll keep my mouth shut for a second. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the research that you've done yourself and some of the value that you've been able to find and glean in cannabis. And again, I will say this as a, as a disclaimer in a way, that for those listening and tuned in, you know, the doctor is not giving you information that says this is cast iron science because we have not had the studies, the proper studies done that Western science requires to be able to make claims. However, there is a lot of anecdotal information out there. There are people who have stated unequivocally, I'm one of those, I've stated unequivocally that I believe cannabis is as big a part of the reason why I have thrived with MS rather than declined with MS because I made sure that I've tried my best to keep myself as steeped in cannabinoids as I possibly can be. And I think that that has done something for you know, my overall. First off, we know that inflammation is the main nemesis of MS. And therefore, by using cannabinoids, I have been able to reduce my inflammation, I believe, in a way that has been extremely beneficial. But doctor, what are some of the things that you've found? Just and First of all, I should say, you have a skincare line out there now based on your own research and based on your own usage, right? Yes, and that skincare line really was born from the fact that um, I'm sensitive to chemicals. So I wanted a skincare line that was non-toxic and something that I can enjoy for my own skin benefits. So my skincare line is called Athera Beauty. And um, I was fortunate to have a good friend who owns a lab in Maryland, a green lab with bright chemists. So we were able to create two lines. Um, a hemp line with other active botanicals, other natural compounds where they come from flowers or, or fruits, as well as a line using CBD itself. Now, our purpose for using CBD and hemp seed oil was more for its cooling action. I want to stress that this skincare line is not a medicinal skincare line. I want to be very careful. But having said that, um, you know, my, my nurses, they were my first test subjects and they loved it. They were able to give me feedback on the variances that they felt with CBD and, and not with CBD in it. So that, that's my skincare line. Um, but you were talking about research. So what I did was largely, and this is self-education. I mean, now we're starting to see some more formal education that's coming about. Um, I traveled the country. So I met with advocates to hear about what they were doing on the Hill um, and with vets who were really saying, look, we need medical cannabis to help us. But if we take medical cannabis, then we may not get 
you know, whatever support that they were getting financially for their health through the government. I met with mothers whose children has uh, the seizures, where they would have 50 to 100 seizures a day in their advocacy. Um, I met with researchers and doctors. There's a doctor uh, in Florida, University of Florida, and their institution has really supported his research when it comes to neuro um, health with, with cannabis. Uh, patients who have Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or peripheral uh, neuropathy. And I was very intrigued. So what I try to do, oh, please. Well, I was going to jump in and say that, you know, what you're talking about right here, anybody who is watching right now, all you have to do is Google, you know, the U.S. government's patent on CBD and read the abstract. And in the abstract, it states unequivocally what, you know, Dr. Singal is here talking about right this minute. It talks about the fact that the U.S. government back in 1999 believed that CBD had neuroprotective properties, had uh, had uh, anti-inflammatory properties, and it discusses that clearly in the abstract. So if the U.S. government claims this so that it can give itself a patent, you must be speaking some truth here. So I just wanted to jump in and say that, and a lot of people don't understand. I want to back up for a second because something very important that you were talking about that a lot of the companies who were formulating now you know, whatever they be edibles or they be, you know, tinctures or other products that are in the marketplace are starting to understand the importance of, you said botanicals, but, you know, we're talking about terpenes and we're talking about the fats and we're talking about the lipids. People are starting to understand that terpenes, which do exist in the hemp plant and the cannabis sativa plant, those terpenes are just as important as the cannabinoids in what we are seeing in some of the leaf standpoint. Terpenes have been around now, been you know, the, something that had been written about, peer-reviewed, studied, been analyzed for now almost 40 years, especially when they come out of fruits, vegetables, flowers, and people want to know what is a terpene. Well, terpene is what gives a plant its color, flavor, smell, right? So and when you're looking at that, these are certain chemicals that we now have been able to analyze for well over 40 years and have found medicinal benefits in them alone. Now, when you put those together with cannabinoids, you get almost like a double bang for the buck. I just want to jump in and say that. Sorry. Uh, I, I, leave all that, that stuff to me. That way nobody can say what the doctor said. The doctor did not say it. Montel said it. Okay. I'll just add one more thing. The World Health Organization, as you and I know, people are saying, well, CBD can be addictive. It can cause me risk. The World Health Organization puts out a physician paper yearly. Um, at least since 2018, they have stipulated that CBD, and we're talking about cannabinoids and the whole plant, but CBD in itself does not have addictive properties. CBD in itself does not have side effects. It's really the formulations, all that other stuff, how people are isolating and then formulating a product that we need to really educate ourselves. What are we taking? Right. Yeah, we finally got, and I think we're, we're going to reach this spot here, but, you know, by the time we're out of, you know, hopefully in the next year when we get out of this pandemic, we're going to find that there's been a lot of research being done on the side, um, understanding that, you know, some of the extraction techniques that have been used and are now standard procedures really have been some of the biggest problems in our industry. And just like you said, Dr. Hill ourselves, I think this industry needs to stop for a second and start correcting itself 
and correcting some of, you know, the bad players in the industry. We, you know, yes, we, we go back 10 years ago, people were still using butane to extract, you know, cannabinoids and didn't recognize that. I don't care how much you leach it. You can't get all the butane out. So therefore people are sucking butane into their brains. Well, that's like walking up to a car and sticking your mouth over the exhaust pipe. I wouldn't do that. So why would I want to have something processed that way? So then we shifted from that to using, you know, other inert kinds of gases and things from CO2 extraction to ethanol extraction, which had been at least lower evaporation points. So therefore we know we can leach it out, but we're not getting it all out. And we don't really know what that effect is. And so now, you know, the move has been using all natural extraction techniques. And we may see, we've seen around the world that there are several, you know, groups that are using water, several groups that are just doing high presses and then taking those presses and trying to refine those down without any chemicals. And I think that that's, you know, eventually we will get to a non-solvent, you know, extraction process that will then just be using the, the cannabinoids themselves. That I think is going to help break through the science. And then, you know, when we start to recognize that hemp isn't hemp isn't hemp to everybody. Cannabis isn't cannabis isn't cannabis to everybody. Some of us need a cannabinoid or a cannabinoid mixture that might, you know, be a little higher in CBD and a little enhanced in THC and a little enhanced in THCA and a little enhanced in CBG and a little enhanced in CBN. And then, you know, have some terpenes in there and mix with some beta carolophylline and some piney and some other things, mix those together. And that will elicit the response that you're trying to elicit for your own relief. Now, because that becomes a kind of a formulation, does that now have to fall under the FDA? I say, no. You know, it's a plant-based medicine that's been around for 5,000 years, killed no one. No one has died from the plant in over 5,000 years that we know of, even though there's been, you know, this ridiculous article that was written about two years ago talking about a person who died because of mold in a batch of cannabis that they had gotten and they had a sensitivity to mold and so therefore was it the mold that killed him was it a pre-existing illness that killed him we don't know but that's the only person that's ever been associated with the death when it comes to cannabis so you know hopefully we will be on a track where more and more people will go solvent free chemical free and extraction and then be more apt to use whole plants that they then can manipulate, put together to raise the level of the individual cannabinoids. So you listen to the response. Yeah. I, um, can I just say amen? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I got to do something, doctor. I'm going to take a little break, pay some bills, and then we'll come right back and let's pick it up right there because I think it's really important. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> smack me in the face and I'll shut up. And I really want you to talk a little bit more about some of the things that you found. And again, even if it's anecdotal and we will characterize it that way, it's anecdotal, but there are people who tune in just to see if, well, that might work for me and that'll give them a little place to start when they do their own research. So I'll take a little break. We're here with Dr. Singal, who is a, today she is the chief medical officer of Bridgeport Hospital in Washington, DC and certified uh, internal medicine physician. She's also a critical care physician at, in an ICU that's located just about a mile from the U.S. Capitol. And she's on the front lines right now of this COVID-19 pandemic. I want to pick your brain a little bit more on that, talk about some of the research that has now been written about, about cannabinoids having the anti-inflammatory effect of that. So let me take a little break. We'll be back right after this. You've been listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel.
Well, hey, guys, you've been listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel, and I know you've been excited about the conversation that I've been having with Dr. Sengal, who is uh, the chief medical officer of the Bridgeport Hospital in Washington, D.C., and a board-certified internal medicine physician. She has been studying and working on cannabis now for probably the last five years of her life. Part of it has been driven by personal need, but also part of it was driven by her oath that she's taken to make sure that she can provide the best health care she can to her patients. So, Dr. Sengal, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thank you, Montel. It's been, it's been exciting. Thank you. It has been really exciting. And, I, and I'm hoping, what do you think, since before the break, we were talking a little bit about, you know, the science behind cannabis, but what do you think it's going to take for us to get more of your peers to sit down and take a break for a second, stop and listen? You know, first thing is getting the word out, getting the education out. Um, and I'll tell you, I listened to one of your podcasts, and it was with Jim Belushi, and you mentioned that people need to understand we're born with endocannabinoids. And when you made that statement, I was like, we need to be able to speak at a level that makes sense. The science will come. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's something I try to make sure I say in every one of my podcasts. I want people to understand, had you never touched cannabis in your life, you have endocannabinoids. You have cannabinoids running through your body. These are endogenous cannabinoids that we make. I'm going to go on my little tilt for a second, but we make two of them. One of them, well, the two that we know of right now, and one's called anandamide and the other one's called 2-AG. And these are things that we make and our body has specific receptors that are antagonized by these cannabinoids. And some people believe that these are the things that actually help keep us in that Goldilocks zone. You know, we're not too hot, not too cold, just right. Well, it's called cellular homeostasis. And that's where I think more and more research needs to be done. But people need to be aware of the fact that, you know, we wouldn't have that in our body if there wasn't a reason for it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that up until, you know, close to 100 years ago, we were feeding that endocannabinoid system even when we didn't think we were. Because up until 1937, you know, hemp seed protein was, you know, for over 150 years eaten by sailors, by farmers, by people I mean, here in the United States. You know, we literally, most people think this country was built off the slave trade and slaves growing cotton and tobacco. It wasn't. It was slaves growing hemp. You know, all of our forefathers had hemp. All of our forefathers probably woke up every morning. Not only did they have an egg, but they woke up in the morning and ate a porridge. That was hemp seed protein because they recognized back in 1690 that hemp was one of the highest protein-laden seeds on the planet. So we were feeding our endocannabinoid system and making sure that it had cannabinoids in it until, you know, William, until DuPont and, uh, you know, uh, um, William Randolph Hearst decided to try to ban it because of their own selfish reasons of textiles and, and wood cultivation that we stopped. And, you know, we villainized, you know, villainized this and made it into something that was, you know, turned into, you know, a, a new way to enslave people. I believe that's what I think part of the reason why it's existed the way it has for the last 70 years. Because when we take a look back since 1937, 80% of those who have been arrested for and incarcerated for utilizing you know, cannabis had been people of color, you know, and, and, you know, uh, and still today, 80% of the people who were locked up in prisons across the country are people of color. And this was a, a good way for those who thought they were smart and figured out how to imprison people, wanted to keep people enslaved through the bars of prison rather than the bars of slavery. So 
I mean, I think one of the things that we've got to do, and I, you nailed it, um, and I am a huge proponent. When I was talking to Jim and I've talked to everybody. I think that's the biggest issue with the cannabis industry in the country today is lack of education. We all decided to, a lot of people decided to jump in this in the last three years, four years, five years because of gold or green rush going B to B, but didn't figure out the B to C. They need to start talking to the consumer, the consumer. And, you know, people like me, my generation is probably the best generation to be targeting because we've seen as we get older, you know, you know, the normal Western medicine is to put us more and more and more in pharmaceuticals, some of which we don't need, some of which could, we could use cannabis to alleviate the need for those. And were we educated enough to understand that that's what we could be using? So education, education, education. I, I feel that that's as important as, you know, location, location, location is the real estate. Um, so yeah, now I, and again, George Washington University is, was teaching a course. Do you see other universities in your area doing the same? Um, I, you know, I, I missed the, uh, the uh, onboarding, but University of Maryland now have a two-year master's program on teaching about cannabis. And they just started that this fall. Um, so I'm going to see what my workload looks like, but I'd love to be a part of that program. Because even as a doctor, let's put cannabis aside, you have to constantly re-educate to see what's new. What we learned five years ago has now become obsolete. What we learned 10 years ago is now becoming something of value. But with cannabis, I can't get enough education. So I'm, I'm constantly looking for sources to educate myself. The University of Maryland now has a master's program. That's great. That needs to be replicated in every university across the country. And I think finally some doctors will start to go, hmm, if they're teaching that, maybe it's something I should know. And, you know, we talk about the University of Maryland. The University of Maryland has been involved in cannabis research since 1980s. I know this because I knew some people who worked in, you know, they used a, a facility at the University of Maryland to destroy cannabis and test some of the fumes back in 1977, 78, 79, 80. So, I mean, it's not something that's new. You know, we also do know that the University of Mississippi has been studying cannabis since uh, George W. Bush, the first, I mean, since George Bush, the, George H. W. Bush, the first one, you know, um, through a program there that uh, has been dispensing cannabis. And I mean, if we've been doing this for this long, my goodness, it seems like there should be, it should be taught in every university across the country. Um, you know, I have people coming to me now. Well, what I want to say is this: it's, it's, it's an interesting trend. We're seeing people go to their doctors, and that's one of my recommendations to patients, um, especially if, if I'm not their doctor, is to find a doctor that's well versed, licensed. I'm licensed in medical marijuana in DC. Every state has a board, and they have the rules and, um, and regulations. But to find a doctor that is licensed, that is knowledgeable that's willing to partner with you and your doctor in exploring whether cannabis can be a, a benefit. Um, but there's one other thing I really want um, to stress and overstress, and you've brought this up many times. When we think about our natural aging and when we think about illness at the heart, I always try to find what's that root cause at the heart of it is our body's response to inflammation. Right, so whether it's you know an, an infection here, or whether it's 
developing diabetes or rheumatoid arthritis or whatever it may be, all of these illnesses have a common denominator and that's inflammation. And that's what I find even more fascinating. Can we really extract value from the cannabis plant, which is a, a huge yes, but how can we do it in a safe way? Because all of our body chemistries are different. That sweet spot for each one of us is different. There's so many different cultivars and genetics when it comes to a cannabis plant. Um, so we, we, we need education. We need more institutions to jump in on investigation and research. We need the decriminalization process from the federal government. We need some oversight. We need funding. I can go on and on and on. There's so many needs. But I think where I can add value most is being a messenger, an educator, um, and then really taking those steps. No, now, since you do have a skincare line now, let's talk a little bit more about that again, and especially the formulations that you have put together to help deal with aging skin. Yes. So, um, so these, again, I have to make that disclaimer. My skincare line is not medicinal, but what we found is skincare is skin health. And as with anything, and I, I wrote this in my book as well, skin health is not just topical, it's also internal. But my topical alliance is basically to nourish our skin, is to keep our skin hydrated, is to be able to find a formulation that allows um, chemicals like cannabis or the fatty acids really get into the deeper layers of our skin. No matter how our skin is the largest organ, you know, in our body, right? And our skin also has, second to the brain, the largest number of receptors when it comes to um, the endocannabinoid system. And in my research, it's interesting that it really has an interplay. Our ECS has an interplay on all of our cells' functions, and that comes with skin health as well. And our skin health, um, topically, is definitely affected by what we apply. So yeah, I wanted a skincare line that I could use, that my customers can use in a safe way that really speaks to the health of the skin. And with CBD, CBD, think of CBD, um, again, we start with the isolate because it's very hard to formulate a, a good sustainable product using full spectrum or broad spectrum. I know there's companies out there that are doing it, but with my chemists, um, who have an incredible amount of respect for, they've educated me on how difficult that is. But think of CBD as your super vitamin, your super antioxidant. It's the A and the B's and the E's all combined in one supercharge. So, and these other botanicals, which are very important for you know, exfoliation or hydration can also lead a small reaction. So I was hoping with CBD, the benefit could be twofold. One, to calm some of the reaction that you may have from these other um, potent topicals, but also perhaps really influence um, the deeper layers of our skin to start being more healthy, to really promote that collagen, elastin, metabolism that's going on every day. So I, I, I love it. I don't go home anywhere without it. But What's your, go, go and give the name of your book real quick. What's the name of your book? The, the name of the book is The CBD Skincare Solution. And um, oh, I do want to say one thing. Um, Montel, should anyone be interested in buying any of our products, please use 
the um, discount code Montel20 because my team would love to have anyone from your show buy our product, test it, and also get a 20% discount from it as well. Oh, there you go. Come on now. Use Montel20. Where do they go? What website do they go up on? Um, so the website is atherabeauty.com. And let me spell it. It's A-E-T-H-E-R-A beauty.com. If you go up there today, use Montel 20 and you get a 20% discount, go ahead with your bad self. And oh, one more thing, let me add. Um, I'm a doctor, let me tell you. So for me, speaking about discounts, this is really out of my bailiwick, but they did ask me to mention that um, if the purchase price is above $100, you can also get a signed book from me as well for free. So. Well, come on now that's that just puts it right over the top and i hope everybody who's tuned in today will tune in and make sure you go up on the website atherabeauty.com and get your supply of skincare but now does this permeate all of the layers of the skin or does it just permeate down to the receptors what does it do so it permeates um to the level of the dermis which is the middle layer of the skin it's not formulated to pass that and go into our blood because that's that's a whole different type of a topical line. Um, and, you know, I always say, you know, these products, whether it's my product or other people's products, they're expensive. It's, a, it's an investment. So I always say, you know, start with one patch test. See how you like it before adding other, other product lines, you know, for my product line or anywhere else. But there's a safe way. I'm, I'm all about safety. I'm about, you know, getting the value that you are looking for, but doing it in a safe way. And, you know, I guess not to be making a claim that it's an anti-aging product, but the claim is that it does help to hydrate. And we know that hydration gives the appearance of and helps slow down that appearance of aging, especially around the eyes and all those other places that we all get to worry about. Right? Yes. Good. Well, share with us a little bit more that you found and learned about CBD and in general, you know, um, now, you were talking about that topically, but also how about eternally? Because we do want to take care of our skin health from the inside out. One of those is drinking a lot of water and, and hydrating as much as you possibly can. And I would assume that CBD and part of the hydration would also help with the skin also, correct? Um, also sleep. I mean, during this pandemic, how many people who already were having trouble getting sleep or with stress, they're not getting, they're getting less sleep. Right. Sleep, I think, is the number one healer and everything else helps us. And where I see with cannabis is that at least in, in, in my patients um, and friends who are using it, it's really helping them de-stress. It's helping them get that better sleep. They're waking up feeling more refreshed, more focused. Um, the bags in their eyes are you know, literally, you know, improving because of sleep. And I think cannabis has a role there. Um, but I'd love to give you, um, if I can, a, a story. And this is an anecdote. But um, one of my nurses has an autoimmune disorder, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And during this COVID time, she came to me because she was concerned about her vulnerability to COVID. But also, she needs to work. She needs to make a living. Her doctors have her on narcotics and heavy immunosuppressants. And she's like, Dr. Singal, what can I do? I don't want to get sick, but I want to work. I need to stand. My knees are swollen. Um, can you talk to me about cannabis? So we sat down. We went through all her medications. 
the timing, which is very important because cannabis taken at the same time with your regular medications can make you not get the benefit from either. So there's a, there's a timing of when to take which. So we started her on microdose of full spectrum cannabis, microdose. And within a few days, I called her because I was concerned with all the medications. How is she doing? She got good sleep. She didn't need to take her narcotics. I know this is a story, but it's a real story. She felt like the pain in her knees were better and she was at work. She felt like she found something that could help her. This was, this was with microdosing. And I have stories after stories. Now, what I've done in my book, as I've spoken about not only the skincare benefits that we're seeing in research with terpenes and flavonoids and, and all types of cannabinoids, but also in other health areas, I've literally peppered my book with references to studies after studies after studies in science um, that we've had for at least the last 10 years, if not longer. Um, it's, it's more than what I can say in this conversation, but um, there, there's a lot out there. Yeah, and when I, I'm going to say something, and please do not, I hope this is not in any way, shape, or form offensive, but have you reached out to uh, Kamala Harris? I have not, but but I'm hoping for some third-person introduction because there is a company in California. It's called KZEN, K-Z-E-N, and they, um, and their owner, she's a longtime chef, has formulated um, a THC drink. And one of their board members, I'm on their board as well, is uh, the former mayor of San Francisco, Willie Mays. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope I'm not saying his name wrong because I, I don't know too much about camp, uh, California, but he and, camp, and he and Kamala Harris have a, a history. So I was hoping maybe through some third or fourth party, one day I can meet her. Yeah, I think that you, know, that you would probably do well in having a conversation with her, just make, letting her understand a little bit more about the benefits of cannabinoids because, uh, you know, hopefully if uh, she and Joe end up in office, we've got to convince them to get off this idea that uh, we're still mired in the 60s when it comes to cannabis research, and we're not. You know, Montel, there is a safe way that we can all move forward. And I wholly agree with you that with Kamala and Joe Biden, if they're willing to help lift those restrictions and give a nod in that direction, it's, I mean, it's unimaginable the benefit that we can get from research. We, we need to, you know, hit that speed pedal on research. We've lost a lot of time. Absolutely. And we're losing a lot more time as we go forward and still with, you know, no one making a decision to, to open it up a little bit. Um, we talk about what CBD is, but let's talk a little bit about what CBD isn't. So CBD is a, is a cure-all. I think when people think about CBD, they're like, oh, if I take this, my cancer is going to go away. So I want to be very, very cautious in the language. Yes, there's fine institutions, Georgetown, Harvard, Princeton, the NIH, that are doing studies with cannabis to see what in science we could say is the benefit when it comes to cancer. But, you know, I'm not going to be someone to say that it's a cure-all. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all, as we've spoken about. Our chemistries are very different, each person. is independent of our size, our age, 
our weight, our ethnicity. Um, and so that's the message I want to really, and that's what I put in my book as well, is, you know, taking this path, I give a nod to that. You need to have a group of specialists working with you on how safe to do it and not have, there's, a, there's so much anecdotes, but I, I have to put my traditional hat on as well and say that there are, are risks not taken the right way. And the risk largely is because, you know, there's what, there's thousands of companies now that are pushing anything cannabis out of the market. Some companies don't even have, when they claim to have CBD in them, they have less than, you know, you know some point zero 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 one drop in what they're selling. And yeah, I'm with you. And so, so that, that's, that, that's my message is that it, it, it's not everything you read about. And we're just scratching that surface. But yeah. If you had to put on your doctor crystal ball, you know, let's talk a little bit about what you think the next couple of years looks like. Um, well, let me say this. In my own hospital, um, it's a little twist on your question. What I started doing about a year and a half ago is I put a task force together because my hospital board has given me the nod to see how we can bring cannabis and medical cannabis to our hospitalized patients. And I got stymied because we need the federal government on board. But I do believe that we will have that legalization. I do believe that we are going to have that research. And people are doing that research. They're just waiting to take it to that next level. And I do believe that in our healthcare industries, we're going to feel more comfortable of now bringing it into our doors and right to the patient at the bedside. So instead of my giving my patients Dilaudid, Oxycontin, Oxycodone, um, antidepressants, antipsychotics, right? Maybe I can give them something that's non-toxic in a safe way that can make them sleep better, have less pain, have less psychological stress because of they're going through whatever they're going through. So I, I do believe that we're going to see that. Wow, that's unbelievable. You're starting this program right now at your hospital? It, well, we actually researched this. I had a team together, even an anesthesiologist. Um, and we were hoping for this past March for, for that getting the uh, cannabis off that Schedule 1 list. But then COVID hit. And then you have everything else, right? So we're at a standstill. If you are an institution relying on federal funds, and this was the sticking point, then we cannot bring even though DC is legal, we can't bring it into our doors. Did you did you see the article that was written about a month ago that talks about the fact that even looking at COVID, that you know there has been some research done around the world now, where doctors are recognizing that the anti-inflammatory effect from CBD and from cannabinoids, even THC, mm -hmm. has anti-inflammatory effect. That's you know somebody told me like nine or ten times greater than most of the, the anti-inflammatories in the marketplace, that hasn't moved the needle a little bit to say, look, at least let's look here, look specifically at that? Well, I, I have seen one research that uh, came out in Canada, and I can send you that link. I'm, I'm sure you've seen that as well, where they are seeing that the power of the cannabinoids can potentially, and they're researching this, stop or decrease the entry 
of, C, of, of the, the coronavirus into the cells that are in our lungs, or at least help mitigate the severity of inflammation. It comes down to inflammation uh, with cannabis. Um, you know, I, again, at least in the United States, you know, unless you are linked to a, uh, a research institution like the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, because they're super regulated, um, I think until the federal government lifts these restrictions. But now they've lifted the restriction when it comes to hemp because of the farm bill. So can we not look at, you know, there are strains right now being grown that are clearly considered hemp because they are under the threshold with C with THC, but they are high in CBD. Can we squeeze a way in there to test it that way? Look, I, I'm all in. So yeah. if we can find a way to squeeze it in, I would say go for it. Yeah. But as with anything, you know, there are state regulations. And even with the passing of the Farm Act, what I found that there's still a variance when it comes to CBD from hemp in certain states. And some states are going backwards. So yeah, that's the one thing that I think people need to really understand. Hemp plant and the, TA and the sativa plant are the same plant. But is the CBD, the CBD, the CBD, SCBD, you know what I mean? Is CBD, 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 is the molecule the same? Yes or no? Yes. So if the molecule is the same, then we should, as long as the threshold of THC is low enough, we should be able to run any test we want on a hemp plant, right? We should. We should. Hmm. But that's my opinion. That's my humble opinion. Let's just hope that, that somebody sees through and sees the light. Tell me a little bit about wash your hands. Ah, okay. And, you know, I didn't realize that you're from Miami uh, or you're in Miami. So, um, so my husband and I, we have a home in Miami. And we, are, we love going to restaurants. We love going to hotels. And we have friends in, in, in the hospitality industry. But when COVID hit, a lot of our friends lost their jobs. And so we started a company called Wash for Hands because it was our way of giving back, both supplying PPE and hand sanitizers throughout the industry in Miami, but also 50% of those proceeds would go to individuals in the hospitality industry that's lost their jobs in a form of a grant or paying their bills, whatever that may be. And you know, there's a, um, there was an article that just came out that showed that the hospitality industry is still 40% of people in that industry that are unemployed, which is four times greater than most other industries in the United States. So we started this company, um, I think it was like in March or April of this year, to try to lend our hand in, in, in helping. And so people should look for products, and what should they do? How can they help? Yeah, so the site's called Wash4Hands, very easy, or Wash4.com. And on that site, you can see a GoFundMe. So people can directly fund grants or they can purchase products like sanitizers, face masks, and through those proceeds, we will also help fund those efforts. Okay, well, great. Well, I hope if you, as long as you have access to quality products, you know, uh, it's unbelievable. And let me know because that's an area I'm working in the PPE space myself. So if there's anything we can do to help you out with that, let us know. And we'll try to see if we can, we can work synergistically together. 
Absolutely. Again, give out your website for uh, your skincare line so that people know where to go. And the fact that they get, if you use Montel 20, you get a 20% discount and you buy over $100 worth of product, you get a brand new, you get a free book and signed by you. Yes. Unbelievable. Yeah. So tell them what's the name of the website? So the website is called Ethera Beauty, A-E-T-H-E-R-A Beauty.com. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, they can reach me at Manisha at doc single as D O C S I N G A L dot com. Okay. Uh, unbelievable. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry I've been mispronouncing your name. I thought it was single, single. So let me make sure I pronounce it right. But you've been listening to Dr. Single here on Let's Be Blown with Montel, who's given us unbelievable information that I think all of us can use. Make sure you tune into the next Let's Be Blown with Montel. And Doc, you know you always have a home here wherever you want to come back. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely.